Good morning. There we go. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. It's great to be together this morning. And if you happen to be with us for the first time, your guest here, never been here before, it's wonderful to have you with us. My name is Dave Harvey. I'm a teaching pastor here at Killarne. As, as Paul said, I'm also the director of, of Sojourn Network. And we are very aware, if you're a guest, that there is a number of things that you could have been doing this morning apart from sharing this service with us. So thank you for deciding to be here. Thank you for not just staying home and cleaning up after our hurricane, our double-minded visitor that couldn't actually decide whether it wanted to be a tropical storm or a hurricane, but visited us nonetheless. Part of the blessing of that, though, one of the silver linings in this storm is that it's, it's reunited us with our family from Midtown, who are here this morning down beneath I-10, the second congregation here at Four Oaks. So a special welcome to you as well. We're glad you're with us. And of course, Lance and Sarah and the kids. And a special welcome to Lance's kidney. First service for his kidney. And thank Jesus for his faithfulness to the Olam family and to the Midtown congregation. So I've been asked by Paul, as he said, to take about 20 minutes or so and share a devotional thought. If you're not familiar, familiar with what a devotional thought is, uh, I thought maybe one analogy would be that if a sermon is like Publix supermarket, a devotional thought is Circle K. Okay, so it's something you get in there quick, you get your fast food, and you go, and you're, you're kind of on your way. At least that's the way it's supposed to work in principle. But as I've considered what to share, I was reminded of a meeting this past week that I had with Pastor Josh and Pastor Rob, and we are in the same, we call them accountability groups. We meet twice a month to be an encouragement to one another, to pray for one another, to, to, to challenge each other where necessary. And I have the privilege of leading our group, and I, I posed the following question to the group. Name one area where you want to grow most over this next year. Name one area where you want to grow most over this next year. And as each of us responded, we were surprised to discover that we all had the same hope. We all wanted to grow in faith. We all wanted to grow in understanding and trusting the promises of God for our life. As I thought about it, I thought, that's really not all that unusual. I think that's a hope that many of us probably carry in here this morning. It's completely understandable. It is, a, in fact, a timely ambition. I mean, we are living in strange times. This is a strange time to be alive in our nation. We are embedded in what I think is one of the most polarizing presidential elections, at least in the past few decades, Republicans are trying to locate themselves in this new party, this new understanding of what it means to be a Republican. We've got racial tensions. We've got an unpredictable Wall Street market. We've got an earthquake that hit yesterday, affected seven different states. This is a time where, as believers, we need to trust God. And on top of that, as a church, if you were here last Sunday, we had our Vision Sunday. And we heard about 
community initiatives that we want to, that, that we want to do, that God is calling us to do, of, of church plants and, and different things within regarding the gospel where God is calling us forward despite the fact that all of these other things are taking place. And there, there's just this sense that we carry each and every week that God is inviting us to stretch our faith, faith and to trust him and trust that he will work in us and through us regardless of what's going on within our culture and society. And so it's been in pondering all that that I was drawn to one simple passage that I hope will be an encouragement to you this morning as it has been to me, and it's from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And you can turn there if you want, but it'll be on the screens behind me, and it, it reads this way. And without faith... It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, this passage is not just a passing reference on faith, quick definition of faith, just to give us a little bit of clarity. You know, faith is this, and it's illustrated by these people. Check out Moses and Abraham and Samson and all these folks from the Old Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. This passage has a context. This passage was written to a church that was on the cusp themselves of a great societal upheaval, where the Christians were being oppressed. In fact, there was a cloud of persecution that was gathering for this church, and they were seeking to locate themselves in all of that. And even apart from that, they were convinced that they had a mission from God because of the gospel that they had to push forward despite the fact that they were coming under oppression. And so the writer of Hebrews is calling them to faith towards God in a climate where the world is growing darker. There's nothing theoretical about this letter, by the way. This is all real. And this description of faith that we're given in just this one verse has a certain backdrop to it. There's a background to it that we have to pay attention to in order to properly understand it. That backdrop is what pleases God. It's a theme that developed a little bit earlier, all the way back in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 38. But my righteous one will live by faith if he shrinks back. My soul has no pleasure in him. Chapter 11, verse 2, for by the people of old, by it the people of old received their commendation. Then in verse 5, it speaks of Enoch, who was taken up so that he should not see death, that he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Part of the context of verse 6 in chapter 11 is what pleases God. And so, of course, where the writer is going, he's going to say that faith pleases God, and then he displays how these different characters in the Old Testament pleased God through their faith. But listen, the point isn't simply that they had faith. The point is they pleased God. And we may not see this, but in verse 6, I think there arises just one simple way to know whether you and I and the other people around us who call themselves Christians are indeed walking in faith. 
And it's three simple words that faith looks up. Faith looks up. And that's part of what's embodied and embedded in, in this passage 11, or chapter 11, verse 6. And I want to describe to you what I mean by that. But I want to say first that when we talk about faith, when we approach faith, we don't start the discussion of faith by looking inward. We don't start by talking about how to build our faith. Faith is not positive thinking. Faith does not start with us, nor does it move us to the center of the discussion. Faith centers on God. And faith is revealed specifically by the upward direction of the following two beliefs. Now follow this. Faith is revealed by the upward direction of the following two beliefs. And this is how it's spelled out in this passage. That God exists, that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. God exists, and He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. In other words, the measure of our faith is the degree to which we believe in each and every situation that God calls us to live in, that God is real, and that He is a rewarder right here, right now, of those who seek Him. The measure of our faith is the degree to which we believe that we, we move from this idea that that's just a proposition, that God is real, God's a rewarder. I believe that, but that has no traction in my heart. That means nothing for my life. That's just something I sing about on Sunday morning. We please God to the, to the degree that we move that from simply a proposition that we affirm to a conviction that we hold. And to the extent that we import those two convictions, God exists, He's a rewarder. God is real, He's a rewarder. We import those two convictions into the problems of our life, into the uncertainties, and, and even into the mundane moments that come. Because most of the challenges of faith, be honest, are those mundane moments where we just have to live out the Christian life. But here's what's most important, and I don't want, to want you to miss this because this is really takes us to the heart of the verse. It is the fact that you have these two convictions, God is real, He is a rewarder of those who seek Him, and that those two convictions are being imported into our life in various situations that then helps us to draw near to God. Because that's what this verse is about. Who wants to draw near to God? If you would draw near to God, we want to be a people who draw near to God. If you're here this morning and you are weary, you are thirsty, you feel distant from God, you feel you've sinned in ways that have separated you from God, and you just want to draw near to God, what a remarkable discovery that we get to be together this morning and we get to realize that God in chapter 11, verse 6, shows us the way. And this is really challenging to look up because, because our fallen mind or when we're distracted or when the circumstances of our, of our life become too large, we, we, we don't look up. Our temptation is daily to look down and to look in, to allow ourselves to be magnified. In other words, God kind of disappears, and when we look down and we look in, we get big, our thoughts get big, our feelings get big, 
and God begins to shrink in our mind. He begins to disappear. If you want to try, try this exercise if you want. I mean, you can do this later on today. Just take a piece of paper out. Write on the piece of paper these two things. God is not here. And then the second thing, God is not real. Write those two things on a piece of paper and then just tuck it away in your Bible. And then open it up in the middle of your next trial. Open it up in the middle of your next affliction. The next time that you feel discouraged and despairing and depressed, open it up and you will be astonished at how accurately those two phrases describe the temptations you are feeling. Because these are precisely the two areas that most come under attack when we are in the middle of affliction. Those are the areas that we are quickest to jettison out of our life and out of the body of our convictions when we come under oppression or discouragement. See, it's not just the big trials either. It's, it's these little tripping points that can st- that can cause us to turn down, to not look up, but to turn inward, to look downward. And to begin to foster a kind of unbelief that not only allows us to see not God, but to see us and the activity and actions that we have to take that are somehow going to bring about what God can accomplish. And this unbelief can begin to generate in our heart. And it starts again... Not in the big moments. Unbelief doesn't start in those defining moments when we're about to be burned at the stake and we need to summon something forth that we've never had in the past. No, unbelief begins and engages really in in the monotony of life. You know, the, the car won't start. The friend disappoints us. Things are not going the way that we thought they would. The job that we just took or... Or we find the mysterious lump. It it wasn't there, and now it's there, and you don't know what it really represents. Or you took a cold shower this morning because her mind came for a visit. Yeah, I mean, one way to think about this is a a storm like this just, just totally disrupts our routine and reveals how much of God's blessings, how much of God's rewards we really assume each and every day. It's almost, almost like God says, you know what, I'm going to blow into Tallahassee for a few days and I'm just going to kick out all the scaffolding. I'm just going to kick out all the props. Hermione, I got a job for you. I'm going to send you, you're going to go to Tallahassee this time. You're going to go, go visit Tallahassee and go, go shut down their electricity, go interrupt their internet, go chill their showers so that they're all cold. And you know that air conditioning that they love, that they live on this time of year? Shut her down. <laughs> Completely. See, her mind is a reminder that God is a rewarder even then we're, when we're not aware of it. Even at times where we're not even thinking about it, we got different things coming at us that are causing blessings in our life. And yet it's, easy, it's, it's amazing at how quickly we can jettison the goodness of God when times of difficulty come. And it happens because we lose sight of God. Great great simple definition of unbelief is just losing sight of God. We lose sight of God. Faith causes us to look up. God is real. Oh, God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Unbelief causes us to look down, to look in. 
And our mind starts to do, you know, funny things. We start talking to ourselves more than listening to the Word of God. Did you you ever have this happen? Somebody says to you, just almost in a benign way, hey, you know what, we need to talk. And, And our mind immediately begins to spring to life. And we begin immediately assigning the kind of the worst motivation and the worst outcome from what that simple phrase is supposed to mean. So we're thinking, oh, oh this is probably bad news. They probably want to, want to correct me in some way. They're, they're probably angry with me. They're, they've probably hired an assassin and they're going to take out a hit on me. I don't know where this is going. And there's a very real sense that when we study Scripture and we study passages like this, that we begin to realize that our so much of our direction is determined by our meditation. Maybe flip that around it and say it this way. Our meditation determines our direction. And yet we have these, we dig these thought trenches. And, and, and in these trenches, we, we begin to think that, that as we encounter different problems, that God is, God is not here. Or maybe he's here, but he's He's not good. That's the Christianized version, by the way. Most Christians don't determine that God is not here. God is not real. They struggle with the second part of that. God is real. Oh, yeah, I'll grant him that. I will will grant that God's existence remains even though I'm in the middle of this trial. But he's not good. He's not a rewarder of those who seek him. That's not the way I'm experiencing him right now. That's not what I believe about him right now. And we become Jonah, you know, sitting at the end of, end of the story. We, we know God exists, but we're just angry at the way he's handling us. We're just angry at the way he rules our life because deep down we don't believe that he's working to reward us. He's working with some end in, in his own mind that makes him feel better but shafts us in some way. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are there right now. And you know because your heart has been telling you, God is not good. You believe he's real. But your heart is telling you, God is not good. And what this passage tells us is that we're, we're, when that happens, we're looking in. We're looking down. We need to be looking up. We need to be reminded that God is real. And even right now, with whatever you're going through, he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And that thought trench that you're in, I mean, that has a name from Scripture. It's called unbelief. And unbelief leads us away from God. It shrinks God. It minimizes God. It makes us forget God. And so this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, do you want to draw near to God? Well, okay, if, you, if you're a person who wants to draw near to God, this is what you have to do. Look up and be reminded of these two simple things. God is real. God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. If you seek Him, you will find Him. If you seek Him, He will reward you. If you seek Him, you will once again experience Him as real. We tolerate too much unbelief. We do. We give too little thought. I give too little thought as to how unbelief undermines my walk with Christ, how unbelief, let's put it this way, defames God. I mean, there's a reason why it says in verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please Him. 
doesn't just say it's, it's difficult to please him. It doesn't say without faith it's tricky, but, you know, you can manage it if you want. Without faith, you need an Olympian kind of experience in order to please him. It doesn't say any of that. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And just, just turn this around and, and kind of a, look at it maybe, if possible, from, from God's perspective. You know, imagine you have a relationship where in that relationship you always told the truth, you always blessed that other person, you were always kind to them, you, you loved them unconditionally, you were always available to them. And then imagine the assault on your integrity if they constantly doubted that you were real, even though you had given them all those things and had all those experiences, constantly doubted that you were kind, constantly doubted that you were really a rewarder to them when they needed it the most. I remember being, I think it was like 11 or 12, had a neighbor walk up to me and accused me of throwing a ball, and busting the window in his house. Now, as soon as he said that to me, I was like giddy with delight because for once, it wasn't me. (laughs) And I was just thinking, this is unbelievable. This is fantastic. And I was just explaining, no, no, this time, no, Dave. It was someone else. It was not me. And he didn't believe me. And I remember being like so offended, so outraged, so, so the injustice of it. Here, you Dave, this, this paragon of integrity, that it was an assault on all that is pure and good and holy, that you would not believe me of all people. And here I was, this, this kind of sneaky, conniving kid with a well-earned reputation for mischief. Now think about it this way. How it must slander God who always comes through. How must it affect God who always loves us unconditionally? How must it defame His goodness and kindness to have His existence and His goodness disputed each and every time we have a new trial. As we insert every new difficulty with a very old question, Lord, are you really real? Okay, I'll grant you that, Lord. I give you that. We've got the, you know, we've got the epistemological question answered. But are you really good right here, right now? And as we wind up here, we've got to realize that, there's a, that God has locked down the issue of his goodness. That God has displayed the ultimate goodness to us, the ultimate reward to us by coming to us, by incarnating to the earth in the form of the man Jesus, by making himself known, by becoming man, by emptying himself of the prerogatives of deity, by loving us, serving us, being kind to us, and ultimately dying for us, so that those, so that even on our best day, we will only ever be able to say, Lord, we believe. 
belief. And as the, as the author and the perfecter of our faith, as the one who has authorized, has created our faith, and has authorized our faith, and is perfecting our faith, and is the pioneer of our faith, he secures the pleasures of God for us for eternity. And then he helps us to find the path to please him in daily life through our faith. And brothers and sisters, the Hebrews are, you know, they're the same as you and I. They, they want to please God. But they have problems. They've got her, their own her mind. They've got uncertainties and trials. and diff- They've got life. That's what they have. And there are things that they're hoping for. They have promises for the future and things about their children and hopes about their community and a desire to be used by God for the gospel. But the promises, or I should say the fulfillment of the promises, are not yet seen. But they have the same desires that you and I have. They have desires to be used by God in mission, to be faithful in a world of darkness, to be light as the world grows more dark, to not not simply profess things about God, but to believe them and stand upon them and in that way distinguish themselves among the culture. And it's almost like the writer of Hebrews is not simply speaking to them, but he's speaking to us as well. And he's saying to us this morning, right here, right now, with whatever that situation is at the forefront of your mind, he's saying, do you want to please God? Look up. Look up. And remember that God is real and that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Keep your eyes fixed there as you approach your Hermine or the upcoming election or the mission that I'm calling you to as a local church. Look up and remember that I'm not just real, but I'm a rewarder of those who seek me and I stand poised to reward you so that you might enjoy the pleasures of God. Let's pray.